church family. Thank you very much. You know, I had fun the first service by uh, sharing. I thought it was interesting. The, the announcement about the change, the adjustment in my role, and I'm going to punctuate it with the um, sermon this morning, and it's the sex talk. <laughs> I, I, I thought it would be a good way for you to remember me. Uh, uh, not, not as though... Not as though uh, um, I, I know I have another uh, assignment down the road, but, but anyway. No, it is on sexual immorality and Christian freedom. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 12. If you're new with us, don't think I picked this out of the hat for that reason. No, we're working our way through 1 Corinthians, and we happen to be at 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to uh, 20. And, you know, Derek, I was really happy. He asked me originally to do last week's, and then ahead of time. He said, no, would you do this one? It'd be more strategic for me. I'm glad. I would much rather uh, give the sex talk uh, sermon than the judging and taking a brother to court. <laughs> no, no, this one's much more, um, I want to be careful <laughs> what, what I say here. Okay, but let's read the passage. Let's read the passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. He will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. 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 Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Verse 18. Flee, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore... Therefore, in light of all of this, therefore, honor God with your body. Um, God, just give us the courage as, as we look at this. God, give us the courage to um, be open to what you want to reveal about ourselves in light of our text this morning. Uh, join me there at the 9. I want to start back up because I think this is a great intro to 12 to 20, what Pastor Derek uh, uh, finished with last week. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit? This is 1 Corinthians 6, beginning at verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders. Now, you may be looking at the list going, hey, well, I don't see, uh, I'm in that camp. But he goes on, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. In essence, he's saying all of us, we're doomed. 
in our former way of life outside of Christ. We were separated from God because we were all bent towards uh, a rebellion, uh, isolating, resisting God. That's what he says in verse 11, and all, and that is what some of you were. See, he's talking to Christians in the Corinthians church. This is the way you were previously. What gives? I don't see any difference from the way you were to what you are bringing into the church. It does not make any sense, in essence, Paul is saying. I I like the phrase, uh, you're not a prisoner of the past, but you're a product of it. You're not a prisoner of the past, but you're a product. So the past is significant. The past is important. The challenge is sometimes we are in bondage to the past and we stay trapped to the past. And this portion of scripture here is telling us you were not, um, you were, and that is what some of you were. Don't continue to be a prisoner to your past. Understand you're a product. You are now free from it. You are free from the sexual immorality that might have created a bondage that you can contribute back to your past. Don't stay there. And then I really like it. If you missed last Sunday, uh, go online and listen to the sermon. And if you don't, Go towards the end where Pastor Derek talks about this last phraseology, but you, the word but is what he really accentuated there, that the significance of that scripture, of that but. You're not stuck in the past. You're not a prisoner of the past, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. So that's what has happened. The question is, are you going to roll up your sleeve if you're trapped in the past and do the work that God calls you to? And may our text of scripture from 12 to 20 help us take those steps to really uh, basking, realizing, experiencing the freedom of Christ today. So let's look at our, our passage of scripture here, starting with Verse 12, Uh, I'm going to break this down. We're first going to look at the cultural beliefs, certainly that were infecting the Christians, that affected their view about human sexuality. So they were packing cultural beliefs that, you know, they they grew up with probably, but they they brought them right into the church. They didn't realize uh, coming to Christ should make a difference. And then we're going to look at Biblical beliefs that are to affect our understanding of human sexuality. How that should challenge and leverage against some of the cultural beliefs so that we discard those. And then we will look at uh, God's ultimate goal is for Christian freedom. Being united in Christ. Uh, Freedom of the past. Freedom from inappropriate uh, uh, sexual immorality that creates bondage. So let's begin there. Verse 12, uh, some of these cultural beliefs. The first one we see, this would be like a cliche that we might use today. The cliche for their day is everything is permissible for me. 
So whenever somebody might have given a moral message, in this, in this case, the apostles or Christians, uh, Paul, um, oh, but they were trying to say that's inappropriate sexual practice for uh, you as a follower of Christ. They go, well, everything's permissible. Everything's permissible. Who are you to tell me what to do? Everything is permissible. Well, you know, yeah, you know, in terms of uh, it's the grace of God, uh, Romans 8, I think, Romans 8 or 7, 1, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But he quickly points out to them, but not everything is beneficial. But not everything is in your best interest. Not everything is helpful or expedient. Why would a person do something knowingly it's not in their best interest? Why would they do something knowingly that it's not beneficial to them or to the people that they care about and that they love? What is so powerful that you would choose to engage in self-destructive behavior like sexual immorality? Let me suggest. Sexual immorality might be the battle, but it's not the war. Sexual immorality is the battle that has to be fought in order to win the war. But don't get confused that there is something far deeper that even drives sexual immorality. I think it encapsulated in verse 19 there at the bottom with these simple words. At the very end of 19, after he says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, you receive from God. You are not your own. You are not your own. It's about ownership. What? What do you mean I'm not my own? Nobody can tell me what I do with my body. Nobody. That is one power that I have. God can't. Family can't. Spouse can't. Christian friend can't. Teacher. Pregnancy center worker. No one. I alone have the power to choose what I do with my body. Nobody can tell me when it's time to die, when I end my marriage, or when I terminate pregnancy. No, only me. Only me. My desire to be in control, I will accept. I will accept whatever consequences that might not be in my best interest, that might not be beneficial to me. I so much bristle against the idea that I'm not my own that I will accept sexually transmitted diseases, abortion, uh, uh, divorce that leaves a uh, family in ruins, financial hardship. But nobody's going to tell me what to do. Scripture says, you're not your own. Certainly death will Make that clear. But we're invited to recognize you're not your own now. Why would a person think they own their own body? Do you own it because you live in it? Maybe you're only a renter. And you really don't own it. You're occupying it. But you don't own it. I mean, after all, 
Why do you think you own your body? Did, did you work to get your body? Did you pay to get your body? Did you beat somebody else out in some kind of competition or something to get the body that you have? Maybe you were smarter. It was your intelligence that allowed you to acquire the body that you have. What did you do to get your body? We all have one. That's one thing we share in common. We have bodies. But nobody did anything to get their body. Nothing. You did nothing. Do I need to repeat myself? You did absolutely nothing. Your parents didn't do anything either. Well, second thought, they did do something. But, but even in the sexual act between a man and a woman where conception happens is outside of their control. Yes, there's a lot of things now scientifically we can do to increase the likelihood, but ultimately, the bottom line is there are some things outside of your control that you did not do to bring about the body that you have. You are not your own. Your body that your being or your personhood occupies is a gift. A gift. Accepting your body as a gift then will prompt you to honor the one who gave it to you. The one who brought about the uh, circumstances to bring it about is a gift and your body has been given to you. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Work at cultivating the biblical understanding that you do not own your own body. It's a gift that's been given to you as you look to make decisions, as you think about behaviors. Be a steward of that gift, a wise steward, a steward that wants to make the most of that gift so it reaches its maximum for its intended purpose by making choices that honor the giver. He gives another, in verse 13, uh, another uh, probably in the Corinthian, the community there, uh, the culture, a popular saying, food for the stomach and stomach for food. When somebody's trying to tell you what to do and that sexual immorality is inappropriate, especially for a follower of Christ, they would uh, re rehearse this, food for the stomach and stomach for food. I could see like with that whiny voice, you know how sometimes we do, where somebody's trying to tell you what to do and you, you don't want it and you may get a whiny cliche that you throw back in their face. Food for the stomach, stomach for food, food for the stomach, stomach for food. You can't tell me what to do. And Paul takes a step back and he says, but... God will destroy them both. And in other words, even these have a termination on them. Even these will come to an end. You think you're so high and mighty that you control, but even these will come to an end. What they're saying here by food for the stomach and stomach for food, uh, what, what they're claiming is that um, as natural as eating food, when I get hungry, as natural as eating food to satisfy my hunger in the stomach, Likewise, sexual desire is as natural 
And to respond out of that urging is as natural as hunger. It is saying, you know, really, we're only chemistry, biochemical, and it's just reacting to the chemicals. It's animalistic. It's nothing more than the animals. Food for the stomach and stomach for food is what they're rehearsing. But we see that Paul wants to address this. That no, no, that was the way you were. That is the way of thinking that creates an imprisonment. But you were sanctified, you were redeemed, you were made new, you were made for a more glorious purpose and even sexual Humanity has a more higher purpose. So we see now he counters that cultural belief with biblical beliefs, that he's going to replace that to stir them to a higher calling. And he responds to that uh, cliche about the stomach for food and food for the stomach by saying, that is not a correct correlation. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. You're following with me the latter part of verse 13 there. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So the correlation that you are trying to draw, that food for the stomach and stomach for food, does not apply. It's not apples to apples. Because your body is for the Lord. And then we have this glorious statement, and the Lord for the body. You are more than animals. You're more than biochemicals. And it's not a correlation to say just because of the uh, chemicals, uh, I'm going to respond like an animal would. That, no. That's what Scripture is telling them. And he's also telling them when he says, and God is for the body, because another, a second view of that age in terms regarding sexual humanity was that the body, the flesh, is evil. It's bad. It's to be shunned. It, it's uh, to participate in its urgings would defile you. And, and Paul, no, that's not the case either. God is for the body. Throughout Scripture, you can see uh, portions that sometimes leave us stunned by the uh, expressions, such as Proverbs 5, 18 and 19, how it shows that he is pro-body, that it is healthy and noble and good. So don't err either way, where anything goes on one side, nothing goes. He goes on to say how God uh, values the body. The body is important to God. We are to honor God with our body by his power. Verse 14, and by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will raise us also. The body is so important to God that he raised his son, Jesus Christ, bodily. And it's telling us he will do that for us as well. Don't undervalue uh, what these bodies represent to God. As you contemplate decisions that are thrown at you, behaviors that you take on, 
You are not an animal. You are far beyond that. You are a body, but you're more than a body. Both are important to God. That he's going to raise them. The stomach and food as we know it, you know, I, most of us in the flesh here, we know the corruptible nature, the perishable nature of stomachs because of Ill ailments and illness and, and stomach kind of troubles, you know. Thankfully, these bodies, as we experience them, are going to be gone. When we get to 1 Corinthians 15, we will realize that we will be given new bodies that are not perishable, that are incorruptible. Those are the bodies that God values. But he values all bodies we see. 1 Corinthians 15, 35 says, uh, that resurrection passage that we'll get to about the importance of the bodies. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? 1540 says there are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. God values the bodies. You need to. Increasingly more so. I know a lot of us are disgruntled with our body. We wish it were different. The passage of Scripture where we'll end up is honor God with the body that you've been given, despite, in fact, in the discomfort, in the chronic illness, in the pain, honor God with it. Your physical body matters to God. Verse 14 um, he raised our body new. Look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? We have that passage in Ephesians, how the body of Christ is made of various members, but each member has a part that represents the body. We in body, because this is what physically, visually people can see, we represent Christ. In your body, you are a representative of Jesus Christ, bearing a testimony. Your body, verse 19, your body is a temple. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then the last one that really, uh, I, I think, is the uh, climax of the value that God places, verse 20, you were bought at a price. We usually associate a value of something, importance of something, based upon the price you had to pay. Uh, this, this price, there was nothing that could be paid by us. And unfortunately, what it cost God the Father was more than money. And it was his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. You were bought at a price. God values our bodies. He has a purpose. Do not cheapen it with cultural practice of a cultural immorality. Do not settle for that. Aspire for something greater. Decide to be a wise steward. And enjoy Christian freedom. And let's end by looking at that. 
What does scripture, what does God offer? Uh, Verses 15 to 17. Christian freedom is being united with the Lord. Uh, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. It just does not make sense. I'm uh, reading into the passage here. It just doesn't make sense. Never. Why would you do that? Verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See, the body and flesh here and the dynamic is going, certainly there is that picture of the sexual immorality and the physical act, but it's much bigger than that. Often the flesh and body exceeds just biological matter. It really encompasses the whole person. That what makes you, you. You're more than animal or chemistry. You're more than that. You're far more complex than that. The body comprises far more. It's your mind, your soul, your will. Everything. Everything when it talks about do not be united with a prostitute. In verse 16 there, we, in fact, several places that I read there from 15 to 17, notice how many times it uses the word unite. Shall I unite myself with a prostitute? Verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? You are united with the Lord. This word for unite really comes from the picture of adhesion. And for us, it would be like glue. When you take two boards that are separate and you're going to unite them and you're going to use glue to bond them together and you have adhesion. This is the picture we're given there. And say you decide, eh, you know, it's a one-night stand. Uh, I'm no longer interested. Or even mentally, you know, if you've given yourself to another woman, mentally there is an adhesion that occurs there, uh, at least in the mind and emotionally. And if anybody's done anything with adhesion and you have that and you decide, uh, I want to... Tear it apart. You can do a lot to minimize the damage, but it's never the same. Never. Never the same. That's the principle of adhesion. That is what's going on here when you engage in sexual immorality. It's more than just anatomy and chemistry. It's more than just uh, one night. They, yeah. A lot besides the flesh becomes commingled. Sexual immorality appears on the surface as freedom, but it entraps you. Freedom biblically is understood differently than culturally. Freedom, biblically, is not getting what you want. 
Freedom is okay with saying, okay, uh, is freedom biblically is saying, um, okay, maybe everything is permissible, but not for me. Because I want what's best. Freedom biblically is not settling for a lesser good for what God deems is best. Freedom biblically is fleeing from that which boasts as satisfying but only leaves you disappointed and thirsty for more. Freedom biblically is enjoying the one whom alone can satisfy the thirst for the relational connection that exceeds that exceeds beyond the sexual act. Sexual immorality entraps, it imprisons, it shackles, it encumbers you, it restricts you. It's bondage. Sexual immorality makes you a prisoner of the past. He says then in verse 18, uh, flee from sexual immorality. You know, you have to decide ahead of time whether you're going to honor God with your body, that you realize it's not your own. A lot of the things that we're talking about this morning, you're going to have to exercise your, your, in your mind ahead of time, premeditate that when the times come, sin come knocking at your door, whether you're going to flee or not. Scripture's telling us, you know, uh, don't even uh, consider... Don't even put yourself in a, a position of uh, perhaps being tempted or compromising yourself. Flee. Get out of there right away. Flee. It's a power and a, a, a force that this wisdom will serve you well. You flee sexual immorality because it frees you to pursue God's best. It's about freedom. Fleeing may feel like bondage, but in actuality, it's freedom because you then are freed up to pursue what's best. I like the saying, you can tell more about a person by what they say no to than what they say yes to. See, in somebody saying no to something, in essence, they're really taking time, they're evaluating, they're saying, okay, that may be good or it's tempting, but I'm going to say no because... I want something better. That's freedom. That's freedom, knowing what you're going to say no to and saying no to it because you know you, there's something better. That you're not going to settle other than God's best. You are not your own. You are God's. I'm, I'm wrapping up here. You're not your own. Rehearse that. You are God's, and your body is a gift. Flee sexual immorality that entraps. Flee it for Christian freedom. Your body and what you do with it matters to God. And then look how this wraps up, uh, this whole section here at the end of 20. You were bought as a price, therefore, 
in light of this teaching, in light of everything you heard, may it work its way into your mind. May it free you from the past, from being a prisoner from the past, so that you enjoy freedom that honors God. There are a lot of other great benefits that come from that. You honor God, but you enjoy a fruitfulness of a life well lived with a fullness of relationships, of being reconnected, to understand what unity being uh, uh, um, bound to in a healthy, in a healthy, life-giving way. Great benefit. Um, that uh, I, I want to conclude by one more thing. And like first service, you know, worship band, they can kind of meander up here. But I want to uh, finish by ju- just. Uh, uh, talking a little bit more about one, one thing, and that the church, church, Christian movement, have a notoriety about kind of sweeping uh, uh, the sexual aspect and sexual identity. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ and just not know how to deal with it? And so we, we tend to not talk about it, not teach about it, or just sweep it under the carpet. Like a lot of us good Mennonites and, and maybe the way you were born, I don't think it's just church-related, but I think culturally, and so we've been hush-hush about it. Well, I want to tell you culturally and looking around the room, you know, probably if you're about maybe 50 and above, 40 and above, you know, that's kind of the ways we were raised and we just don't talk about it. Well, there's a new wave, a new generation. And they want to know, does Christianity make a difference? Uh, They want to know, uh, how does Christianity impact our sexuality? A lot of folks are being uh, taken in by a cultural and they get uh, addicted and what we call imprisoned to a variety, a variety of addictive agents and become entrapped. And we want to give them Jesus Christ. We want to give them Jesus Christ in a way that the gospel makes a difference, not just for the future, but for right now. Not that they're going to necessarily uh, receive dramatic uh, deliverance in an instant from receiving Christ. Receiving Christ is the first step. Admitting that you are in prison, that you are in bondage, and receive Jesus Christ who paid the price. And he maps out a pathway to enjoy freedom. To understand you're not a prisoner, you are a product, and begin the work of being delivered from whatever vice. Part of what we're doing here at Faith Church and some of the changes we've made is what we're calling life groups. And a lot of you are enjoying the communities in life groups and the richness, and out of that, various ministries outside of group time have spun off. Eventually, when the time is right, for each group on their own, but for, for when, when the time is right, we will begin talking about what we call life on life. And that is where out of your life group community, uh, you couple up or, or tr- get a trio of maybe three men with men, three women with women, and you do what we call life on life. Where hopefully where the church in the past has been a little secretive and a little uh, inhibited about how to deal with this subject, it would be our hope that there, there, not in the large group, 
not even necessarily in that group of 12, 15, 18, whatever your life group might be, but there with trusted men on men and women with women. Okay, and we're doing that, not necessarily for you in the room, maybe so, but the future and what's happening in our world. We need to understand that and ask God to give us wisdom how we can give our world, Jesus Christ, to the bondages that they're entrapped with. Join me in prayer. Father, God, thank you. Father, thank you that you have bought us for not our own. Help us to let go. Help us to surrender so many lesser things that we cling to to hold on to a semblance, a semblance of power or pleasure. May we choose today to continue the process of letting go, not being a prisoner of the past. Give us the courage to face those enemies that imprisoned us, that we're in bondage to. If your spirit wants to do it, you want to do it. Now it's up to us, Lord, to decide. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen.